So today's daf is Lamed Hey and Euvin. We're starting on the Mishnah, Lamed Dalid Amud Bet, uh, which is towards the bottom of the page there. And uh, hold on, I'm just uh, adjusting the sound here. And, um, and so we are, uh, we are at the Mishnah there, Nitanobe Migdal, Ve'avada Mafteach. So generally the principle is that the Eruv has to be accessible to the person who said it for the Tchum. In other words, he sets it at the edge of the Tchum and he wants, it has to be accessible to him. At least during the time of Ben uh, Hashemashot. Because the idea of the Eruv is not that he's going to eat the Eruv. It doesn't actually have to be there the whole Shabbat. But it's not like Eruv Tavshilin. Eruv Tavshilin, as soon as you eat it, now it doesn't help you anymore for uh, cooking from Yom Tov to Shabbat. But Eruv Tchumin just has to be there at the moment that Shabbat begins. If it, so if the person, but the person has, it has to be accessible to the person at that time. So the thing is that uh, if it's in Migdal, it's in some kind of a closet and he lost the key. How is Eruv? It's still an Eruv. It's still a good Eruv, even though he can't get in. Rabbi Eliezer says if he doesn't know where the key is, then it's no good. He has to be able to have access to the Eruv, otherwise it's not considered an Eruv. So the Machloket on the surface seems to be whether he needs to have access to the Eruv or not. Is it the fact that it's there enough or he has to have access to it? That seems to be the Machloket. Let's see what the Gemara does with that. The Gemara says, how could it be that even though he can't have access to the closet, it's still a good Eruv? First of all, we have a different problem. Where he's in one place and it's, it is in another place. Where she says, even if you're going to say both of them are in Rishut HaYachid, we're assuming. Because obviously if it's in Rishut HaRabim, he can't carry the key anyway to be able to open the, uh, to be able to open the closet. So we're, even if we're assuming they're all in a place which is defined as Rishut HaYachid, Still, he can't get to the Eruv. It's in a different place. There's no way for him to get into it. So, we're talking about some, basically a structure made of bricks. And these bricks can be removed on Shabbat without necessarily violating the Malachav Stira because they're not attached, Rashi says, below Titbenin. They don't have any clay or any cement holding them together. It's just like a pile of bricks that was shaped into a kind of a... Uh, into a kind of uh, a, 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 what looks like a, what he calls a migdal, but it means like a type of a closet. So that, since he can get in there, it's okay for Rabbi Meiri. And our Mishnah is following Rabbi Meiri, who says you can, even in the first place, open a, plink, open a structure like that and take what's inside. If you have a house that was full of perot, it was full of fruits, and it was sealed off, meaning like there was no way in. Sealed room, sealed house. Okay, so, uh, so the Gemara says, or the Mishnah says, if it broke open, then he can go in to the area that's broken. Even on Yom Tov, it's, talking, it's actually talking, it's in Masechet Betzah, this Mishnah, even if the wall broke down on Yom Tov, so meaning that before Yom Tov it wasn't accessible, on Yom Tov it, it, the wall collapsed and now it's accessible, so he can go in and take it, no problem. Rabbi Meir says, even further than that, Rabbi Meir says, He can even break that wall down and go in. Right? So meaning to say that, uh, uh, and, and, and the Gemara over there explains that we're not talking about a structure that was sealed, connected with, with cement. We're talking about a structure that had 
nothing in between the levinim, nothing in between the bricks. And because there's nothing between the bricks, so he was allowed to uh, penetrate through the uh, to penetrate through the um, uh, the wall and to get the, the food out of it, according to Rabbi Meir. The Chachamim said only if it falls by itself. You can't open the, your way through. But according to Rabbi Meir, you could. Right? So it says, uh, Over there, weren't we talking about specifically a structure that was not cemented? So we're going to say the same thing here. We're going to say the same thing here. We'll say also here that we're talking about there's air between the bricks, meaning it's not sealed, not cemented. But didn't we also say that even that Rabbi Meir said that you could break through these bricks in order to get the food inside? That was only on Yom Tov because we have the special leniency of Ochel Nefesh. You're allowed to do things for food and things like that. Right? We'll say the same thing here. We're only talking about Yom Tov. This Mishnah, even though it doesn't mention Yom Tov, it mentions Shabbat. It seems like it's talking about Shabbat. Maybe not. Maybe it's really talking about Yom Tov also. And uh, it's, it's talking about Yom Tov, and there's, and there's food, in, food that you put for the Erovet Chumin. So you're allowed to uh, open the wall, according to Rabbi Meir. And we're talking about Yom Tov. So we've said two things that don't appear in the Mishnah, that we're making an assertion about the Mishnah. The first one is that it's a structure which is non-cemented. Second is that it is on Yom Tov and not Shabbat, because you're allowed, therefore you're allowed to move these bricks, because otherwise they would be Muktzesa. How can you move the bricks? Oh, because of Ochel Nefesh. Okay. So now, if that's true, I knew the Ketani Allah, then it makes sense what was said, because Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Im ba'ir avad, eruvo eru, vim ba'sadeh avad, ene eruvo eru, vim biyom tov, mali ir, mali sadeh. So it says, wait a second, this, the, uh, what about the, what Rabbi Eliezer says? Rabbi Eliezer says, if the, the uh, we're talking about the key being missing to the closet, if it's missing in the city, it's still good. What does that mean? That means that if it's missing in an area that's enclosed, so if he finds it, he can actually transport it to the area of where this closet is and open it because he has the, he's, he's not going to have a problem of carrying it for Amot and Rashut Rabim, right? But but if it got lost in the, in the field, then it's not going to be good, right? The Ibi Yom Tov. If it's, uh, if it's, uh, if we're talking about Yom Tov, there's no prohibition of carrying on Yom Tov. So why would you have an issue of uh, moving the key in a Rishut HaRabim, meaning whether you lost the key in the field or you lost the key in the city, it would be, if you found it, you'd be able to bring it to the place of the closet because we're talking about Yom Tov, we're not talking about Shabbat. If we're talking about, so, so why would he make a distinction here is the question. So Rashi explains here, Rashi explains there are three positions here. The Tanakama says, whether he lost it in the field or he lost it in the city, it doesn't matter where he lost the key. Because he can break the wall down of this brick structure, like we said, according to Rabbi Meir, he can break it down. Now, Rabbi Eliezer, the Matnitin, Ben Bayou, Ben Basada, Eno Oveo, the Mistalamatisatan, Veledle de Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Eliezer says, No, you're not allowed to break the wall down. And since you don't know where the key is, it doesn't matter where you lost it, you're not allowed to, uh, it's not a good Eruv because you can't get in there. Not only that, he doesn't hold like Rabbi Shimon, we learned about this before that all enclosed areas you can carry as far as you want. 
So even though an area is enclosed that is very, very large, according to Rabbi Shimon, you can always carry from one chatzer to another, to another karpef, to another this. You can go from one to the other enclosed areas, and it's no problem on Shabbat. Anything that was lost in one of those enclosed outdoor areas, you can carry to the others. So according to Rabbi Shimon, you can carry it pretty far, right? So he doesn't hold like that. So therefore he said, whether it gets lost in the city or it gets lost in the field, you're not going to be able to convey it all the way out to where this Eruv Tchumin is. So therefore, it says, no. And then Rabbi Eliezer of the Brayta holds like Rabbi Shimon, right? That's why he makes a distinction between the city and the field. It says, if it, meaning the city means an enclosed area. So therefore, he's allowed, according to Rabbi Shimon, you can go from one courtyard to another, one outdoor enclosed area to another, uh, infinitely. So therefore, this person could possibly, if it was lost in an area that was enclosed, bring that key to that closet and be able to open it. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, in the, the Mishnah, he doesn't hold like that. So in other words, one, one version of Rabbi Eliezer holds like that. So therefore says, if you lost an enclosed area, you'd be able to get it to the closet. The other one says, no, we don't hold like that. So whether you lost it in the city or you lost it in the field, it's the same thing. You can't bring it to the closet. But what's clear is it can't, if it's talking about Yom Tov, so then why would they be making a distinction about carrying? There's no issue of carrying on Yom Tov. Only on Shabbat. So, what would be, so it wouldn't matter where you lost the key. If it's just the fact that you have the possibility, the potential of bringing the key there, that would apply in Yom Tov from anywhere. So the Gemara says, you're right. We have to amend it here. If, you, if the Eruv was put in a Migdal, in a type of a structure, and it was locked in front of him, and he lost the key. How is the Eruv? This is still a good Eruv according to the Tanakhama. That's only in Yom Tov because you're allowed to penetrate into the structure on Yom Tov because we're talking about a case where the bricks were not sealed together with any kind of cement so it's not a real biblical act of, uh, of breaking down and you're doing it for Ochel Nefesh so you don't have an issue of Muktzev uh, touching the bricks that's on Yom Tov but if, you, if, if this happened on Shabbat you made this Tchum and it was inside this sealed area you wouldn't be able to move it because there's no leniency to move those bricks for Ochel Nefesh to get the food that's inside and so therefore you're not, since you wouldn't have access to the Eruv it's not a good Eruv for Shabbat However, uh, let's say you found the key, so no matter where you find the key, if it's Shabbat, it's not going to help you because there's no way for you to get that key to, uh, to the location. Because if it was found in the field, that's a Rishut HaRabim, you're not going to be able to bring it. And if it was a Rishut HaYachid, but it's an enclosed outdoor Rishut HaYachid, and if we don't hold like Rabbi Shimon, that means that there's a limit on how far you're allowed to bring it, you're not going to be able to bring it. For Rabbi Eliezer, Omer, Ba'ir, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, I agree with Rabbi Shimon. If you found it in an enclosed outdoor area, you can go from one enclosed outdoor area to another until finally get, you get to that place where the Eruv is and you'll be able to, you'll be able to do it. But, but if, it is a, uh, if it's in an outdoor, totally unenclosed area, so then you're not going to have any chance. Now, if it was found in an enclosed area, then that following Rabbi Shimon who said, whether it's roofs or it is courtyards or it is outdoor enclosed areas that are not for residential purposes, they're all one reshut. Meaning you can go from one to the other for anything that was in there on Shabbat. You can't necessarily bring from your house out into those areas, but you could bring from one chatzer to another. And if the closet in a chatzer and also the, uh, where you put the Eruv is in some chatzer somewhere and the key was lost in the chatzer somewhere, then you'll be able to get it there according to Rabbi Shimon. But if you, if you lost it in the fields, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't have a way to get it there, right? Like the rabbis, meaning since you're not able 
to uh, break down the wall lechatchila of that uh, closet. So there's no way you're going to be able to get in there. And if it's if the key is is found in the in the Rishut Rabin, there's no way to bring the key, right? So there, that that would be the machloket. So according to that, this is specifically talking about a case of uh, either of Yom Tov. On, in the case of Yom Tov, the machloket is whether you're allowed to break through the wall or not to, to get into the food. If you're uh, if it's a if it's on Shabbat itself. If you don't have the key and you won't have a way to you won't have a way to get through because you can't break it down on Shabbat. Everybody agrees you can't break it down on Shabbat. So the question is: Is there a way to bring the key there? Well, then it comes to the question of whether you're allowed to carry a key in an enclosed outdoor area for infinite distance. According to Rabbi Shimon, you could. So you still have the possibility of uh, getting access to the closet. According to the according to the um, uh, to others, you wouldn't be able to do it because we don't hold that the. Um, we don't hold like uh, Rabbi Shimon. So anyway, Rabbi Yosef have a different interpretation of this whole case. We don't have to be saying that it's talking about bricks. We're talking about a wooden closet, not bricks. One holds that a wooden closet is kli. It's a vessel. And there's no stirab bekelim. There's no melachav destroying when it comes to kelim. Only structures. And therefore... If you, if you break through the structure, it would be okay. Because in oil. And the other one says, no, it's a structure. And since it's a structure, you can't break through. In other words, according to this, everyone agrees you have to have access to the food inside. That's not the question. The question is, are you allowed to break through this thing on Shabbat or not? Like the following machloket we see with regard to Zav. If a Zav moves an item, even without touching it directly, he will make it Tameh. If he moves something, Shidat Tevahu Migdal, or different kinds of like closets, okay, they'll become Tameh. Rabbi Nechamia, Rabbi Shimon, Ritarin. But Rabbi Nechamia, Rabbi Shimon say that they are, that it's not Mechabel Tumah. Now, my love, the Hakami Palgid, Morsavar Klihu, Morsavar Oilo. Because one side holds, it's a Kli, it's a vessel, it's a movable item. Movable item can become Tameh. The other says, no, it's an oil. It's a structure. If you touch a house, it doesn't become Tameh. The structure doesn't become Tameh. So it, and, and so the same concept would apply here. If it's a Kli, you could break through it and get the Eruv inside. If it's a structure, you're not allowed to break through it. Amar Abaye says, what are you talking about? How could you say that? The Brayta explicitly says, even an oil, if the Zav moves it, a tent, if a Zav moves it, it's moved by Zav, it's going to be Tamei. So certainly a closet will be Tamei. And if it's a Kli, even if it's an, a, a mobile Kli, if the Zav doesn't move, it'll be Tahor. Meaning if he touches it, but it doesn't move, um, well, if he t- forget about touching it, but if he that takes a stick, let's say, and pokes it and it doesn't move, he's, uh, he, it's, not, it's not going to be tam- become Tamei. But Katani Stefan says at the end of Amei Unisotim, Tamei, Zeaklal. The general rule is, if his force causes it to move, it will become tamay. If it's because of re'ada, vibration he creates in the ground, and it moves, it will not become tamay. It has to be his direct force, okay? So the point is, that that's not the issue there. The issue there is not whether it's uh, considered a kli or considered an oil, because actually even an oil would be able to become tamay if the zav moved it. So what is the issue over there? Everybody agrees that if something is moved because of the direct force of a zav, it's tamay. If it's because of the vibration of the ground, it's ta'or. Here we're talking about where he touched it and it vibrated, but it didn't move position. Is that considered moving? 
The real issue over there is if the Zav touches a large object enough that it will shake, but it doesn't actually move, is that considered moving it or not, okay? He takes a stick and he knocks it and it vibrates, okay? That's a totally different issue that, than, than whether, this, uh, whether a migdal is considered a kli or not considered a kli. You're trying to say that the issue here is that if you have this closet that's made of wood, is it considered a kli or not? That has nothing to do with the issue over there because over there, even if it was considered a structure, become become la. What is our Mishnah going like? Forget about the, everything that we said before that it's made of levenim. We're talking about a case where it was tied up with rope. In order to get in, you would need to either have the key, which in the taste of the Mishnah, you lost it, so that's not going to happen, or you have to cut the rope. The Tanakama holds like the opinion of Rabbi Yossi that you can move any item you want on Shabbat except for two things. You can't move the piece of the machresha, of the uh, plow, and you can't move the large saw. Why? Because both of these things are items that would be restricted in their use only to their proper use. But any other item you want to move around on Shabbat that has a function, you can. So that means if you need to pick up a knife and cut the rope in order to get inside this closet, you can. And Rabbi Eliezer holds like the strict opinion of Rabbi Nechemyan Muktzeh that we learned at the end of Masachat Shabbat, which is that you can only use an item for its defined purpose. Meaning, even a spoon, even a, uh, even a, uh, a, a talit, you can't use it for anything besides wearing it. You can't use the spoon for anything besides scooping. So since a knife is not usually made for cutting a rope, it's usually made for cutting food, you're not allowed to use it. And therefore you won't be able to open this closet and therefore you won't be able to get in. So the interesting thing is that in the end, the way the Gemara interprets the Mishnah is not a question of whether you need to be able to access the food or not. Everybody seems to say you do need to be able to access it. The question is, they're interpreting the Mishnah as arguing, Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim are arguing about a tangential issue. Would you be halachically allowed to access it in this case? Can you break down that structure? Can you cut that rope? That's a totally different question than whether it needs to be accessible. In the end, they're implying that everybody agrees it has to be accessible. When you read the Mishnah, it sounds like, oh, Rabbi Eliezer says, if you lost the key, it's okay. If you lost the key, it's not, okay. it's, it's not acceptable. And the Chachamim say, no, even if you lost the key, it's fine. As long as it's there, you don't need to have access to it. The Gemara doesn't accept that. The Gemara says, no, it's the other way around. Everybody agrees you have to have access. The question is, is there a halachic way to access it or not? Because if it's halachically forbidden, then it's as if you can't, you can't access it. The Mishnah says, Let's say you put the Eruv right on the edge of the Tchum. You went to the 2,000 Amot you're allowed to go, and you put the Eruv right there because you wanted to get maximum, right? Maximum distance. So you went 2,000 Amot from your residential area, and right at that spot you said, I want to get another 2,000 Amot, so you, you put it there. But it rolled, the wind came and blew it out even further. So now it's outside even where you're allowed to have it. Let's say there's an avalanche of rocks covers it. Oh, Nisraf, where it gets burnt, Shumav and Itmet, let's say it's Shuman, it became Tamei, which means that it cannot be eaten, it's inedible. So, if that happened before, before Shabbat started, for sure there's no Eruv, because it was invalid before. But if it happened after dark, then it's okay. Now, why is that? I explained before. Because the essence of the Eruv is not that I'm going to eat it. The essence of the Eruv is that it was there when Shabbat began to show that I'm establishing that as my Shabbat place. So if it was there, like even the previous case where you lost the key, if you had the key in the beginning of Shabbat, in the Shabbat morning you lost the key, definitely the Eruv is okay. You don't need to, have to, to be able to access it all day. It means at the moment that of nightfall you could access it. 
Right? So here, as long as these items were good at nightfall, that's okay. Whatever happens to them after that, if it rolls out, if it gets covered by avalanche, that's okay. But what happens if im safik, what if you don't know? You now see that the eruv rolled out. You don't know if it rolled out the second you left it there. And even before Shabbat, it was already out too far. Right? Or it got burned before Shabbat or it happened on Shabbat. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Gamal. Rabbi Meir says you are a donkey driver and a camel driver at the same time. What does that mean? You might say, well, that's good because you make double the, 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 the minimum wage of both of them and it's good. But he said, no, the problem is that Hamar, the, the, the donkey driver, he goes from the, the rear of the donkey and the gamal is in the front. The, the camel driver is in the front. So it means you're in the front and the back at the same time. You're in a bad position. Why? Because you have to be strict on both. You have to act as if your uh, residence is where you left the Eruv, since maybe you did. You have to act as if your residence is where you didn't leave the Eruv, as if you didn't leave an Eruv, which means that you can't go, basically you could go from your residence to where the Eruv was originally placed, meaning only within that 2000 Amot. You can't go any further because maybe the Eruv was no good. On the other hand, you wouldn't be able to go in the opposite direction of your residence because maybe the Eruv was good. You don't know. Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon They say, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon say, no, 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 a safek of Eruv, we always assume the best. We say it's fine until, it was fine until nightfall and it happened afterwards. Amar Rabbi Yossi, Abtulmus, he'id mishum chamishaz genim, al safek of kashir. He says, Abtulmus testified in the name of five elders that safek Eruv is kashir because we assume the best when, especially it's in, it's in the Rabbanan, as we're going to explain, an issue of a rabbinic uh, issue, we always assume the best, okay? The Gemara says, if it ro- rolled out past the, di- past the limit, so, it says, even though, um, even though if the person, uh, if, it, if it rolled out, it really should be invalid, but if it rolled out within four amot of the tchum, it's okay. Why? Because even if you had put the eruv there, Four amot passed where it was allowed. You went to the 2,000 amot limit and it went three amot further, let's say. So where that eruv is, it gets four amot. So it's four amot from that bread extends into where you are. So you're okay. So it will be valid. As long as it didn't roll more than four amot out, it's still good. In the fall of Gal, what happens if it, an avalanche falls on it? So originally, so the, the assumption was that you'd be allowed to retrieve it, obviously, Right? Because, um, because if, if not, then it would be, uh, if, if it, if it uh, Rashi says, right? the, the issue is that you're going to move the rocks in order to retrieve the Eruv. So how could you do that? Right? So the Gemara says, This must not be in accordance with Rabbi's position, because we have a general rule of Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Udanasi, that uh, that ben hashmashot between sunset and tzeta kochavim nightfall where the stars come out rabbinic rules are not in effect during that time rabbinic rules are kol shegazu alav mishum shavut means all the rabbinic rules of of Shabbat don't apply so therefore um, let's say a gal uh, avanim fell on this right the second that you left it so during ben hashmashot during the twilight time. It was, it was covered with rocks. But since the only prohibition that stops you from taking the bread out is the fact that it is um, to move the rocks, 
and Muktzeh wouldn't apply during that Ben Hashemashot time, so it's good then. So it was good because during the Ben Hashemashot it was still okay. That's, the, that, that's what the Gemara is saying. It's saying, but Rabbi is the one who says that. So obviously our Mishnah is not following Rabbi because our Mishnah is saying that if, they, if, if a, an avalanche fell on the uh, Eruv, it wouldn't be good. Why? During Ben Hashemashot, the rabbinic rule of Muktzeh didn't apply, I would have been able to take the food, so what's the problem? It says, Really, even Rabbi would agree because you were, it's talking about a case where the, the, the avalanche was so heavy that you would actually need like tools to dig it out. It would be a real malachat to, to extract the food. <coughs> and you need both cases of the roof that rolls out and also the avalanche. Because if it rolled beyond the tchum, you might say, well, the reason why if it rolls beyond the tchum, it's no good is because it's not with you. It's too far. But when an avalanche falls, you could say, it's right here, I just can't get to it, so it's okay. Right? Or the opposite. You could say the opposite, that if an avalanche fell on it, that's worse, because it's covered. But if it rolled out of the area, sometimes a wind will come and blow it back, so maybe it's not as bad. Right, because just like the wind blew it out, it'll blow back. So it says, um, so therefore, that's why you might think it's an Eruv. So you need two cases. You need a case where it moves out of the range, because that's both got a positive and a negative. The positive is that it could get blown back into the range. The negative is it's not, in, it's not within my range right now. When it's covered, the positive is, yeah, it might be covered, but it's right here. On the other hand, it's not accessible. So they each have their negative and their positive. Gemara says, what about it's burnt up or the Truman it becomes Tamei? Why do you need this? Both cases, the Truman that became Tamei and the burnt, because it teaches about the case of the burning because it wants to teach you how lenient Rabbi Yossi is. That even though it got burned up, the Eruv is still valid as long as it's a, it's a case, like we said in the Mishnah, it's a case where we are in a doubt, right? So still we're lenient, even though it's burnt up and it's not here at all anymore. And on the other hand, it teaches us the case of the Tumah that became Tmei'at to teach you how strict Rabbi Meir is. That even though the item is still there, right, it still exists, and it's possible, and it's only a safek. When it became Tamei, we don't know. We come there in the morning and we see that there's a dead Sheretz on it. We don't know when it became Tamei. Still, he's going to be strict. Right? So, is really Rabbi Meir's opinion to be stringent? We learned in a Mishnah, famous Mishnah actually, okay? Said, If a person is not sure, he was Tamei and he's not sure if he went to the Mikveh or not, he can't remember. Or, he is in doubt whether the Mikveh had 40 Se'ah or not. Or there were two Mikveh. Maybe there were two mikvot, one of them had, was kosher and one wasn't. And he doesn't know which one he went to. He doesn't know which one. We say in all those cases of doubt, tamay. Why? That's only a strict tumah, meaning biblical tumah, that's the rule. But if it's a light tumah, which means a rabbinic. foods. Food can only make you tamei midirabanan. There's no food making a person tamei deraita. Vishatamashkin tamein, same thing, you drank tamei drinks. If you go and you immerse in water that is drawn water, like a pool or whatever, okay, technically there's a tumat dirabanan, so people wouldn't confuse it with mikvah, with the mikvot, right? So they, made, so they made a rule that the, since it could be confused with the mikvah, so if you went into maim shuvim, you also are tamei. 
Or if um, three log of drawn water are poured on his body, and then he went to the, to the mikveh. He doesn't know if he did or not. Even if he knows he did, he doesn't know whether the mikveh had enough volume. Or there were two mikvaot. One was good, one wasn't. And he went to one of them. So in all those cases where he doesn't know whether he went to the mikveh or not, or which mikveh he went to, or, uh, or um, uh, you know, there were two mikvaot and, uh, and he doesn't know which one, in all those cases, if it's a rabbinic tumah, he can be lenient. If it's biblical, he has to be stringent. Rabbi Yossi is stringent. Okay, so what do you hear? The assumption here is that the Tanakh is Rabbi Meir. So Rabbi Meir is being lenient in a Dirabanan, not strict. He's saying if it's, if it's Rabbanan, you're lenient. So Kasavar Rabbi Meir, Tchumin Deoraita Ninhu. Rabbi Meir holds that Tchum is Deoraita. That's like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that, that, uh, that Tchumin are Deoraita. So that's why he's more strict. Is that really true? We learned in the Mishnah, Right? If he's not able to include it, it's talking about he's using a measuring rope to determine the tchum. Okay, we're going to see later on. He's using a measuring ro- a rope to, and he can't get it over a certain hill. You can penetrate through the mountain. In other words, if he's trying to go over an incline, a big mound or a valley or whatever, he wants to measure the tchum. If you go over the whole hill and you count all of the walking over the hill as part of the tchum, you're really going to cut down your tchum, right? Because every hill is going to be more. But if you, if you go straight through and you just measure the horizontal, the base of the hill, it'll be less, right? If you measure going up and coming down in tchum, it's not going to be good. So you can just cut straight through. And if you're going to tell me that tchum is deoraita according to Rabbi Meir, how can he say that? We have a general rule. You can't do that kind of a trick for things that are deoraita. So if you want to measure what the closest city is for Eglarufa, for the decapitated calf where we find a dead body and we have to find the closest city, or if you want to find what the techum of Ir Miklat, where the, where the murderer who killed accidentally is allowed to stay, and he's given refuge, and he's given refuge including in the techum, we need to measure the techum mid-deoraita, we have to measure the techum. So there you can't do tricks like that. You have to include even the inclines and all of that in the measurement. So it must be that if Rabbi Meir is saying that you cannot include the incline in the, in the, in the measurement, he just includes the horizontal, right, of a mountain. So that must mean he's saying it's not the Oraita, the Tchum of Shabbat. So it says, Lakasha, Hadidei Hadarabe, you're right, that he himself has one opinion and his teacher has a different opinion, right? So when Rabbi Meir said, because Rabbi Meir said, Shamati Shemikadrin, he said he heard that you can do this, meaning he himself holds that Tchum is Deoraita. He heard from other teachers that Tchum is only Deorabanan and you could do this. Right? That's the conclusion. But we have a problem because there's a conflict, there's a contradiction between two teachings of Rabbi Meir. Because These are such interesting cases. You touch somebody in the middle of the night, you don't know if they were dead or alive. Okay, in the morning, in the morning you see a dead guy. 
Right? You don't know if the, who, who was alive during the night. Who was the, who, I guess there was two people there. Right? You don't know. So Rebbe Meir, Rebbe Meir says it's okay. You don't have to assume you touched a dead person. Because first of all, you don't know what the status of the person was when you touched him. And in, only in the morning you find he's dead. And, and the rabbis say, Because since when you woke up and became aware of the problem, the person was dead, you have to assume that you touched him when he was dead. Okay? Now, Amar Rabbi Yirmiya. What? He's not say, they're not saying that. Right? That's the whole point. So Rabbi Amar Rabbi Yirmiya, Mishnatenu Shaya Alea Sheretz Kol Mashot. So, but what do you see from here? You see that the Chachamim are being more strict. They're saying you found the person dead in the morning, that's it. You don't know if it was dead when you touched him in the middle of the night, but now he's dead. You have to assume he's, he was dead. Rebmir says, no, no, no. You assume he's alive until proven otherwise. Okay? So then why would he say regarding the truma or that became Tamein, you don't know if it happened during the day or the night, why would he say that that truma is presumed negatively? You're, you're going to assume stringently that it was Tamein. Why would he assume that? Here he's not assuming that. So it says, you know, our Mishnah is talking about where there was a sheretz on it all day, all all benashmashot from sunset until nightfall. On the eruv. On the on the bread, right of the eruv. Okay, so iachi behal lema Rabbi Yossi safek eruv kasher. So then, why is it a safek at all? What Rabbi Yossi is going to say it's a safek? What do you mean it was on there the whole time? If there's a dead sheretz on there the whole time, so then what's the safek? Says, ah, I'll tell you why. We're talking about how there were two reports, conflicting reports. CNN says, right? It was before. And the other group says, no, it was after dark. So Rashi explains. Since the Chuma has a Cheskat Kashrut, Cheskat Tara, you assume that it's Tahor, so, the, uh, so, so therefore you, um, so since you have a conflicting report, you can go with the lenient one, right? And therefore you say that when Shabbat began, it was, it was still Tahor. However, Rabbi Meir says, once you have a conflicting report, that uproots the chazaka, that, uh, that compromises the, the presumption that it was tahor. And therefore, and therefore we're not going to go with that chazaka, with that thing. That's a totally different thing. But if you touch the guy in the night, there's nobody there saying that he was dead earlier. There's no conflicting report. So there, the whole night you assume he was alive. That's why um, in that case, Rebbe Meir is lenient with the dead guy. Because Rebbe Meir will say, well, there's no report that he died earlier. So I just give him the presumption that he was alive. Whereas over here, we have conflicting reports. So you can't say a presumption once you have conflicting reports. And that's why he's going to be strict, okay? Then, and in the, um, and the last part, point is the beginning of the, uh, of the next page, and then we'll conclude because they need the room now. Over there you have two uh, pre- uh, presumptions that are lenient, and here we only have one. Rashi explains. When it comes to touching the guy in the night. Even if you had contradictory reports with the dead guy, still, he would still say it leniently. Why? 
because they're okay to live because you have two conflicting witnesses and you have the chazaka that the person was alive, so you cancel out the edut and you say it was tahor. But here he says there's only one chazaka, which is to say that the truma was tahor, right? And therefore he says umishum chada chazaka lomar inan And because of one chazaka, we're not going to uh, we're not going to take away the uh, the chizkat kashrut and hilkach azen lechuma. And that's why we're going to be uh, that's why he, uh, we're in that case you have a. Um, in that case, you have the uh, the chazaka of the of the tuma. You're not going to lomar uh, inan You're not going to take it away because of one presumption. And hilkach aslin That's why he's going to be strict. We have to go. We have them waiting outside to see the continuation of the discussion of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Meir. We'll see tomorrow.